Welcome to the Kirk and Baker Show, the first edition of a podcast produced at the studios of KALA. I'm David Baker, along with... My name is Rogers Kirk. Well, it's nice to meet you. Hey, man, it's nice meeting you again. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, we act like we don't know each other. We've known each other for many years. And uh, by popular demand, we're doing a podcast together uh, to not only uh, help the Quad Cities and the region and the world uh, get to know us a little bit, but to hopefully solve some problems along the way. That's what we want to get to eventually. But, you know, Dave, one of the greatest things is that people have asked for us to do a podcast. Oh, yeah, it's a, re- I it's mean, a it's request. Not, yeah, it's not like we would, yeah, well, let's do a podcast. No, yeah. it's people are saying right. because of the Sunday morning show mm-hmm. uh, that uh, people have been asking that we do a podcast. And I'm excited to be here with you, Dave. Yeah. And, well, one thing I can't tolerate is b- bad radio or bad entertainment. So we hope that if we're going to be entertaining or inspiring, informative, we hope to make it good. Because that's one thing I detest is uh, terrible television or terrible radio. And uh, I was just talking before the podcast to Rogers Kirk about uh, some radio I heard that it wasn't very good, some talk. And there's just a lot of it out there. Everybody's got a story to tell. Mm. Now, uh, I thought maybe today on our first edition, we would talk about our resume, kind of a background of who we are. I think people know David Baker as, well, he's the radio guy at St. Ambrose at 88.5 FM, but I do more. And people know you as a church pastor, and they might think, well, when Pastor Kirk's done, he just goes home, puts his feet up, and <laughs> watches the Andy Griffith show, right? Oh, yeah. Is it, is it that easy? Yeah, no. Nah. It's not. I do like the Andy Griffith show, too, oh, by the way. I, I, I grew up on Andy Griffith. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, there's there's nothing bad I can say I got, about I kind of got an opie attitude. <laughs> you know, well, and, and it's good to have an opie attitude, right? Uh, so I thought maybe I'd start with you. Tell Tell us where you came from. How you got here to Davenport, Iowa? I know we've talked about this on the radio before yeah, about the whole story, yeah. but how you got here and your background being a preacher and and how did that all happen in your life? Man, that's a, that's a lot. I don't. You can do that. In, we got. Can you do that in thirty seconds? No, we can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, man, I'm excited. But uh, I, I'm from Monroe, Louisiana. Yeah, that's in the northern part of Louisiana. That's where I was born, uh, and. They call it now fun row, but but that's what do they call it? Fun, fun row, fun row, yeah. Like fun fun row, fun row, yeah. Like but, it's a row of fun. It's a it's a good time. Okay, <laughs> yeah, right. something like that. But okay, yeah, that's what they call it now, fun row. But that's where okay. I was born. That's in northern part of the state, about a hundred miles from Shreveport, right? Uh, Louisiana, about another hundred miles or so from uh, Jackson, Mississippi, right? But uh, but that's where I was born. I, uh, and 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 so I went to school there at Carroll High School and uh, and Monroe. I went to college there in Monroe at Northeast Louisiana and, University. And, but you didn't study religion in college, right? Oh no. What, uh, what did you study? Uh, I studied. Uh, it was at the time it was data processing. Mm. Yeah, and I had a minor in in business administration. So, well, if I ever need you to process data. <laughs> I know exactly who to go to. Oh yeah, just go to my phone. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, that's that's where I started out at Monroe, and everything evolved around Monroe, Louisiana. I left from there, went into the military. Okay. A couple of years, and then I come out the military. Uh, and at the time, I got called into the pastorate uh, when I was eighteen. Well, just just turned eighteen, 
and uh, uh, and and I was in college when I preached my first sermon, and things was kind of things. Were, and you liked it. Oh, things was you well. Came back. Yeah. But you always talk about your mom. You talk about mom, and, and mom made sure you went to church. The family. Did, well, who who was the one who urged everybody get to church? Yeah. Well. It was my mother. My father died when I was very young, and so my mother raised all eight of us. You know, eight of eight of you. Eight, eight, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, and we was all like, you know, stair steps, you know. Uh, but she was, she was, she was something else. And man, I, I tell you, I owe everything to my mother and my grandmother. You know, they, they're the one that kept me rooted and grounded. My mother, she, she was an awesome lady. She was, you know, a community activist. Mm. Uh, she was a poet. Uh, she was a musician. She was uh, many things in our church. Uh, so that, that's who uh, I got a lot of the inspiration from my grandmother was the same way she was she was business oriented she had an insurance company you know that you know so she had I had the business from my grandmother the religious uh, side from my from my mother well you always bring up your mom in your sermons yeah. not not every single sermon but when you can and you have a personal reference you talk about family or mother you always bring mom up oh, yeah. so she's present. She's always, part of us. Always. She's been here. Yeah, always. <laughs> she's been on the air with us many yeah, she's times. She's been right here. Yeah, right here. Giving us some wisdom. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, And then you ended up in Davenport, Iowa. How did that well, happen? Well, uh, after coming back to Monroe, um, the Federal Express was in, in the early stages, uh, and they were opening up stations, and so they was hiring for people uh, at that time, and this, uh, and... So I, I became a part of Federal Express. I came. I started off uh, 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 as just a customer service agent. You know, mm. uh, didn't last long there. But then I, uh, the the vice president came uh, around and she, she liked me and uh, and uh, she wanted me to go into management. You know, I I had the I thought the degree to help to do that, but you know, yeah. she saw something and. Uh, uh, and and that's that's kind of history in that pers- perspective. Uh, I took over a station. I went to a station uh, in uh, Lafayette, Louisiana. That's where I started my managerial career in Laf- Lafayette, Louisiana, mm. which, and uh, stayed there for a few years. And came up to I took over a complete station in Alexandria, Louisiana. And from Alexandria, Louisiana, I went to uh, Mansfield, Ohio. And from Mansfield, Ohio, uh, I took this region. I was senior management for them, and I took this whole region here over. Wow. Yeah, but I've always been vocational. But the, the Lord arrested me here and said, look, this is it. I want you full time. And so I quit the job and became pastor of the Third Missionary Baptist Church, mm-hmm. and that's where we are today. I I got a question for you. It's a FedEx question. Okay. Have you ever seen the movie Tom Hanks' uh, Castaway? I think it was called Castaway, where he's he's in the plane on the FedEx plane, and it crashes. Yes. And he, he's the lone survivor, and all those packages wash ashore. Sure. And what does he do? He sorts them in order <laughs> and protects them. Yeah. And he doesn't open them until he finally gets pretty desperate yeah. that he needs provisions and he hopes that there's something that he could use on the island. Yeah. 
But at first, Tom Hanks, that's a great scene where he's grabbing these packages that are washing ashore and he's bringing them up on the beach and he's putting them all in order like a good like a good FedEx person. I, would you do the same thing? Oh, of course. I, I used yeah. to tell people, you know, they'd say we had purple blood in us, you know, yeah. when you work for FedEx. But, uh, you know, as a management, you want people to, uh, because you represent the company. And so, you know, it's how we treat our uh, employees and then it's how our employees uh, pl- treat the packages. <laughs> I didn't know you did that. Yeah, I did that. I, well, that's... I retired, matter of fact, I retired from FedEx. Wow. You know. So you retired. You had one career already. Yeah, I retired from. And then you moved on to, to this, and yeah. the Lord called you here to Davenport, Iowa, of yeah. all places. What did you think when you got here? I th- I think I've talked to you about that. When yeah. you first got here, what was your impression? Well, you know, I when I was I, I came here to go somewhere, uh, being uh, mobile and management kind of help, and so. Uh, the, we had made an agreement that if I would come to Ohio uh, and I'd do two years there, get that station mm-hmm. squared away, uh, then they wanted me to come here because there were some issues okay. uh, in this area. And so I came here and uh, only to do two years. And I said, okay, I'll come. I didn't know anything about that. Matter of fact, I didn't know too much about Iowa, but what I remember geography. <laughs> but uh, coming here, and uh, uh, I was on my way to Dallas. That's where the next thing would be, I said. I would go to Dallas, be the director, and uh, that's where my career hopefully would to end, being mm-hmm. in Dallas, that kind of thing. And uh, But uh, coming here, and the Lord arrested me. I, I joined the Third Missionary Baptist Church, uh, and I was associate minister there, uh, and... Uh, who was Pastor? Pastor Larry Ware. Yeah, he was Pastor Larry, a great yeah. man in this area. Yeah, yeah and he um, he he moved. He was moving to Florida. Yeah, and so they asked me would I serve as interim. I said, oh, yeah, I serve as interim because you know if you serve as interim, you're not considered for pastor. And because I'm going to Dallas, that's that's my thing. I'm going to Dallas. Yeah, and uh, you know, and and the church was it got down about a year, so it was. Right up to the time I'm supposed to get ready to to go to Dallas, they had posted my job. I was a week early mm-hmm. applying for it, and my manager tried. My the vice president wanted to keep me in this area, uh, so she would not approve my uh, transfer. She, she said, "No, you don't have enough time in yet. One week, mind you, one week. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that week time." Uh, the the uh, they were getting ready to hire. This is toward the end of uh, December, first of January, uh, because the first Saturday in January is when the church elected to be pastor, oh. which I was not supposed to be considered for pastorate. But they wanted you. Uh, and so when the, when they came up, uh, I, I never forget they told me I wasn't at the meeting, but they told me that uh, Deacon Emmanuel Morrow he got me and said, "Look, the Lord has already given us who we need," and uh, uh, and so they voted. And uh, and and the rest is history. And that was the old building too, right? That was the old building. Oh yeah, that I old still the building on Main Street. Main Street. Yeah, yeah. And I I still remember that and the beautiful stained glass. Fourteen oh one Main. Fourteen oh one Main was the address, and then you rescued a lot of that stained glass. Yes, we did. We 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 were able to get that, and definitely, you know, with a church, you know, somewhat economically deprived, we we used that 
uh, we sold some of the stained glass sure. from that, you know, because it was antique, a lot of that sure, it was flooring and things of that nature. And so I, I remember the church, it needed a space for fellowship. It, it didn't have a kitchen that was adequate. No. It didn't have any of the restroom yeah. facilities. And and you ended up with a modern space. Yeah, the Lord blessed, uh, you know, the Lord gave me a vision uh, after a year or so there mm-hmm. uh, about this is how we need to build. And I presented that model that the Lord gave me to the church uh, in, in a plan, you know, did a lot of planning when I was in the corporation so I could do that, you know. Uh, and uh, the church accepted the plan, and the Lord just opened the doors, uh, and uh, mm. we were able to, you know, to build the church that we are in now. Uh, and uh, and so that, you know, everything that, we, you know, we needed, God just provided, you know. And I, and I know that, you know, this is not a religious broadcast, but, you know, right. the fact is that, you know, you have to be very honest to, right. to know where you got to where you are, you know. And 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 as a church, it, me personally, it's God. Uh, for our church, it's definitely God because God provided for us. I mean, you know, we got all these, we got these buses, we got all this stuff in our fellowship yeah. hall. It it was God because you know where you didn't have God made a way, and and that was the most awesome thing to look and see how God worked. I remember we were trying to get financing. They said, "Well, you can't get the financing. You only need was a million dollars. You can't, you can't get that, you know." And I said, right. "You know," uh, and I would, I would just see God. Yeah. And uh, and there was uh, the bank, Northwest Bank. Uh, uh, the guy, the president, and I talked. He he saw the vision, uh, and we he he brought together a, a cause. Associate of banks together say, we're going to get the money for him. Mm-hmm. We're going to get the money for this church. And each one of those banks say, look, we'll, they, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll spread out this risk. We'll take it. After, uh, and they did. We built the church. After a week, I mean, after we built the church, they said, no, one bank said, we'll take it all. Mm-hmm. I mean, just to see God work. I mean, many right. people don't know all of the behind scenes of things that happen. But, you know, uh, for those of us who, who saw God just intervene in every situation, I'm going to give you a case in mind and just to show you how God worked. Looking about how we're going to, you know, not, you know, about building and things of that nature, uh, architect and stuff, you know. Uh, I was... I, I forgot exactly where where I was, but met this guy, mm-hmm. and his guy said, you know, was talking. Uh, he said, well, you know what? Uh, let me look at take a look at it. And uh, and he 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 came with that picture that's in my office of the church. Right. He drew that picture. He got had that picture drawn long before the church was built. Mm. You know, and we took that, and that's the, and the church looked exactly like that. Yes. Yeah. And and that just meeting him, the Lord brought us together, brought us together with with the architect. I mean, with the contractor, all of it just fell in place. And so when when things like that, you you can you can't give it to your intellect. You can't give it to uh, who you know and all that. You just know that it's God uh, who is directing your path. You know, and that's what right. He did. Well, and I think. God knows, we all know, that you can't do a job 
without the proper environment. Mm. And I, I mean, you cannot worship in a building with poor heating and air conditioning issues. And I don't remember what kind of air there was at the old third, but well, uh, we had air, but we was heating, we was heating more outside than we were right, inside. Right, right, and. And you can't you can't have a productive environment uh, unless you've got a proper space. Mm-hmm. And I think you know we face that in technology and radio and television as well. You know that we mm-hmm. have to have the proper tools to do the job and to get it done. So absolutely, well, those are great accomplishments, and I did not know all that. Yeah, well, I did not know the FedEx story. You know that? Oh yeah. No, I did not. Yeah. That's why I brought Tom Hanks up. 20, 20 years with FedEx, yeah. My goodness, God, it was so. He's been so good to me. I tell you, but I can't. I can't even begin to explain it. All. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's Pastor Rogers Kirk. I'm going to just call him Rogers Kirk for this yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah. But I, but I do tend to call you Pastor Kirk as yeah. your title. Well, you know, uh, Dave, you and you I, can call me Doctor Baker, but I'm not a doctor. Oh, oh excuse me, <laughs> B- Bishop Baker. I mean, Bishop. You know, there are people who have called me Doctor before. They, I think they're kidding around with me, but um, so. I was going to tell you about me and where I came from. So as a as a, a product of Davenport, Iowa, okay, so I, I've never left Davenport. I've, I physically have left here to travel, but I have always lived in the Quad Cities. Now, I'm a Bettendorf resident now. So for the past 19-plus years, I've been in Bettendorf, but I always consider myself a Davenport person. I was born in Davenport, raised in Davenport. My dad worked for... Oh, various uh, places in, in the electrical field. He he uh, went through Carmichael Electric uh, apprenticeship program, worked at Alter Company mm-hmm. at one point, did electrical there, ended up getting a job in 1968 at Alcoa and little old Alcoa in, in Riverdale. And he did very well at Alcoa. He retired, oh, about 2000, uh, the year 2000, 1999, I believe he mm-hmm. retired. And then he went on to do some other other things. Um but so that's our, our family has always been here because of my dad's employment and uh, originally uh, lived in the west end of Davenport on Dittmer Street. Okay, I know where that and, is. And uh, my grandfather lived on the corner of Rockingham and Concord. I know where that is. And so I, I know that area very well back when Rockingham Drugstore was there. So I would, uh, as a child, walk down to Rockingham Drugstore, sometimes course had to have a parent or a grandparent with me holding my hand taking me there uh to the drugstore to buy candy or whatever have you uh at the drugstore but that's where we started out and then about 1970 mom and dad decided to move out north there were some new houses people thought this was ridiculous to move out into these high-priced houses they were $29,000 for a house wow a brand new house can you imagine that's too much that was so, but in 1970, they thought that was out of sight. That was too high. Um, so I lived in North Davenport, went to Harrison School in Davenport, mm-hmm. Iowa, before 53rd Street was even paved. So it was a blacktop. It was a it was a tar road, and uh, would walk to school every day through a path. Uh, the early years, first grade, and maybe into second and third grade. By third grade, they finally had some sidewalks down, <laughs> and we finally had a crossing guard. And we finally had the street paved, and it was just two lane at that time, east and west travel, 53rd Street in Davenport. So went to Harrison School, um, got through Harrison, went to Wood Junior High School, which is now North. It's the property where North High School is. Wood was there, and that's when uh, 
I started running into people that I never realized they'd be an impact in my life. Palmer Bird, who I didn't know at that time, became a friend of mine, and I, I always wanted him as a teacher, but back then you couldn't pick as a teacher. He always interested me. So Mr. Bird always interested me, and he was one of the social study teachers uh, at the school. And then also uh, Janet Woods, Bragg, Janet mm-hmm. Woods. Oh, yeah, she was. So Miss Woods, and she was Miss Woods to me and my, my friend, Miss Woods, and I miss her, so taught us to dance uh, in the gym class. And she taught us the hustle. And so uh, I played uh, on the radio, I played the hustle a couple of times in her memory, uh, thinking of her. But part of the PE class, uh, we would have that. Uh, but it's amazing. You start meeting people. You're 11, 12, 13 years old. These are people who are an impact in your life later on. And I did no idea any of this would happen. So my path took me to middle school. I uh, got interested in amateur radio, ham radio. Never thought I'd be a broadcaster. I used to always play around, though. I used to take records, and I had a tape recorder, and I used to introduce the records. I made up a call sign of a station, and then I would talk about the record. I'd play this record, and I'd say, okay, coming up, this is Dion and the Belmonts. And my mom, I borrowed all my mom's old 45s. She always let me play with these things. Oh, 45. What's 45s, what's, what's, the old records that went 45 revolutions per minute. They would go round and round, and we had... We had Richie Valens, and we had uh, some good ones in there. And I would, uh, yeah, a lot of people that don't know what a 40, 45 record. They were the records with the hole in the middle. And you yeah. put that little disc in there. And, you and could put, put the disc, or, or you had a changer. Oh, yeah, so that little round thing. If somebody was at a party, and they just were, before the days of the MP3 player, you would stack your records up, and voila, it would just drop them as, uh, as you played the next one. Um, I don't think that was very good for the condition of the record. Somebody told me that's really hard on the records, but oh, nobody was worried about that back did then. You, did you do the 33 and the third? <laughs> the 33 and the third, those are the albums. So yeah. we got thousands of those here at the station. So I had no idea that I would get into music. I always enjoyed music quite a bit. Um, unfortunately, my music classes and um, my band instructors – never quite reached me. So there was always a disconnect there. And I don't know what that was. Maybe it was my fault, discipline. I think it was the material of music that they were having us play. I played the trumpet at uh, some point, fourth, fifth grade, played the trumpet for a couple of years, and I just dropped it. I, I couldn't take it because we were stuck in this book of songs, and they were just removed from anything I understood. And I played pretty well. I was second chair, first trumpet. So there was like a, a row of first trumpets and second trumpets. I was number two. I was pretty good. Uh, I just, I gave up. And uh, maybe I shouldn't have. But also my, my music education in school, uh, my, my instructor was, she didn't like me for some reason. I always felt, uh, God bless her, she's still alive. But there was always a disconnect there. And she used to make me sit on my hands and uh, sit in the hall um, we, we used to sing along to what I would call mediocre songs of the day, and she'd play piano to them. And I don't know how that's education. I don't think that would fly very well today. And my classmates remember that, too, as being a very uncomfortable, arduous situation that went on, and I just couldn't take it because something touched my soul with music. And I knew there was more. There was much more. 
So anyway, by the time I got to middle school, then I got into ham radio, which is you have to have a license for this. And I talked to people all over the world with that. And uh, I didn't think I'd be a broadcaster, though. But then I got closer and closer to high school, got into high school, got involved with the school newspaper. There's journalism for you. And I got involved with that end of it. I met Duke Schneider, Don Schneider, who runs our television station. And I was sold. From the moment I met Duke, I was probably 12 years old. I said, I'm, I'm going to go to St. Ambrose College. I told my mom and dad. I, I said, I had a tour over there uh, with some other ham operators that came over because Don Schneider is a ham operator with me. And uh, he brought the club over, the local ham club. And uh, we all got together for a ham meeting. And here I am at St. Ambrose. I'm in the, right, the very building I work in today. I was a kid. And I said, I'm going to come to school here. I had no idea I would work here in any way. So uh, ended up going to St. Ambrose, majored in communications. Back then it was called mass communications. I uh, got a degree in mass communications, was editor of the school paper. I was a bit of a rabble rouser with the newspaper. Uh, did that for a few years. I, I, I was not afraid to say my piece with the administration. So I always had kind of a an attitude of, Freedom of the press, you know, let the, let the newspaper people say what they need to say and let's keep, let's keep everybody honest. Even though this is a private school and we appreciate and love everything that the school does, every once in a while there's, there's a place for a journalist to make a statement, I always felt. And uh, so then I went on after uh, college and worked for a little bit at Channel 8, WQAD. Got to work with some other great people, Jim King and... Uh, Bruce Appa was a director, and so many others, Rick Siri, and, uh, chief engineer, people that taught me a lot. Probably more than I could learn in school, I learned on the job. I was only there for a short period of time, and then I got a call to come over to St. Ambrose and come back to work here. I worked in, of all places, when I got called over here, in the theater department for Galvin Fine Arts Center, it wasn't technically theater, but we did a lot of theater shows, and I was the marketing person for Galvin. And that's how I got back in the building. Mm. Father Charles Shepler, who I don't know if you knew Father, but Father and you would have gotten along pretty well. But Father was another, another person of God who saw broadcasting as an outlet to get the word out to people. And Father called me. He talked to me one day, and he said, Dave we got an opening downstairs. I want you to come work for me in TV. So I moved back into the communication department from which I graduated as an employee. And I was 23 years old. All that happened <laughs> pretty quick. So 23 years old. And I, I started working at St. Ambrose in 1989. So I've been here 33 years right now of working. So I never imagined I would be at KALA, but as a student, some of the greatest people I've ever met in my life were here. Some of the most wonderful people in the community. Some are with us and some aren't. You know, I started, I met Pastor Wiseman from Progressive, and um, I met all of the gospel people, all of the Spanish DJs up here, all the people that spun jazz. Frank Mabane, who went by Frank Osani on the air. God bless him. What a great guy took me under his wing, showed me what to do. And I, I was from North Davenport. 
my my elementary school had maybe one African American kid. We had Sean Norville, a good friend of mine. <laughs> I catch him on Facebook all the time. So Sean, it was Sean was and and we had uh, you know that was it. It's not that's not diversity for you. An entire elementary school of eight hundred kids or whatever we had and. Um, so I, I got here and there was diversity at the radio station, more diversity at this radio station than the college at the time right. by far. And we were doing jazz and soul and I got to meet all sorts of people and people who changed my life and opened my eyes up to a whole different world. And I've always been accepting of people, but when you meet people and they're on the same playing field as you are and you realize that we all do things the same way. We're just different. We're just different people with different names. We have different personalities and interests and likes. And then I explored my musical understanding. I mean, all along I've liked music, collected records, listened to music, but I became a connoisseur of trying to get the best music on our radio station. So my elementary school music teacher really missed the boat <laughs> in using me more because i have an ear i have a real ear for what's good and good music and it goes far beyond listening to barry manilow and barbara streisand records not to say they're all bad but the i've i've been a champion of a uh, black music j jazz and blues mm -hmm. in my life i've worked hard to uh, get that out there and showcase it and uh, my friend jimmy jones who did radio up here for a long time. Some of his last words to me in writing, he told me not to give up. He told me, he gave me marching orders. I mean, I think from his deathbed, he wrote me a letter that said, do not give up in this battle in jazz and blues. And so, so I love jazz music. I love blues music. And so I got on the blues society, was on their board and, um, you know, so I, I really am a champion for our students to also have that same experience. I hope that they do and that many of them come through here and they talk about their experiences knowing many of our African-American or Latino DJs. And they talk about that as their fondest memories and doing things in the community. When, when KLA is out and has a booth at an event, it's very simple, but it's very important too. It says we care. And there's a whole lot of stations, they don't get it. They don't get it. They think they're, they're punching the clock. And uh, media outlets that punch the clock, they're looking at the time. Oh, you've taken too much of my time today. And we need to remember when there's community events, if we can go out and make an impact and reach somebody, I think that's important. So that's been my goal, too, at the radio station is to give a voice to those who don't have a voice or a very tiny voice. Yeah. And so I always think of uh, the lady from one of the churches, and I don't know if she was from Bethel, but one of the little churches, and she would always come up around Easter and bless her. She always had a handwritten note that they will have services at this time and they will be doing this and this. And I always made sure we announced that because that is exactly what I'm about, is giving a voice to the people. I think that's what the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, entrusts us 
to do something with the airwaves is to help the people, not to make money. I mean, along the way, you got to pay your bills, but there's a there's a certain amount of public trust that goes with this. So um, I try to stamp my my stamp of approval on things and give people the best. But what you see usually is what you get. Sometimes I get in a bad mood. You get in a bad mood? And Pastor Kirk, you bring me out of that sometimes. Well, thank you, Dave. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but that's some about me. I don't know. I, we, we, uh, we, we've had varied backgrounds, but... Uh, it's amazing. Our paths, because of the paths I took, they met. Right. And I would have never known you. There's no way in the world. I mean, it's possible if I had become an accountant and gone to uh, Wartburg or gone to Illinois State or something and gotten into accounting, mm-hmm. I would have been a miserable person. <laughs> And I wouldn't have known. Well, you know, I I, I told, shared with you once before that uh, for his broadcasting, when I was in high school, uh, we had a station there in uh, West Monroe, Louisiana. Uh, I think it was K, KYEA. That's the name. That's the call letters. KYEA. Mm-hmm. And uh, Roosevelt Wright, who was a very good friend of mine, we was in school together. And uh, and we would we were disc jockeys there. You know, we did the late night. You know, and so you used to play records on. Yeah, it? yeah. Oh my goodness, can the you name? Old... Can you think of one song you played? Maybe. Huh? What's one song that you played on the air? There was one song. It's, I mean, it was an old song. Yeah. It's, it was called G Baby. G Baby. Okay. Ooh wee baby, G you baby. so fine. Yeah. Like the way to call you mine. <laughs> G Baby. I can't. I couldn't sing that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, everybody's laughing, though. <laughs> but so, I, so we may have crossed paths anyway. Because, as a matter of fact, when I when I came in town, I remember mm-hmm. with with my pastor Gabriel Barber the third. Right. Uh, he talked me into coming and being a part. Him and Bobby Clark, about part of the gospel train of the gospel train, yeah. and I would come up on Tuesday mornings. Yeah. Very early. <laughs> yeah. Barber is just a wonderful guy. Gabe Barber is another. Person I don't think I would have ever met, and Gabe and I have become really good friends through the years, and just a wonderful guy. And I can do a bit of an imitation of him sometimes if I get motivated. Yeah, well. But my favorite Gabe Barber story is that uh, <clears throat> I told this at his when Lee and, and he and his his late wife Lee uh, they had a anniversary celebration there was a big group of people there were hundreds of people at this it was and the last one yeah they yeah it was the last and they had me get up not the last not the last was it the king center it was over at the uh case i okay no we were at the king center yeah, the king center they had me get up and do a, an imitation of gabe and i did it oh he laughed he acts like sometimes he can't hear but he heard and i was doing an imitation you tell him he has selective hearing. Selective. Yeah. So the story was um, I had put some spots on our log thanking uh, for something the the Riverboat Development Authority, which doesn't exist anymore. Now it's a regional development authority. Right. I thanked them, and they're the holders of the license for the casino. At that time, it was the President Casino, and it's a different casino now. But they hold the—they're the holder of the license. And Barber pulled me aside, Baker, Baker. I'm gonna tell you—you you have to get that off the air 
think in the casino, and I know it's a casino. You might say Riverboat Development Authority, but it's the casino. And, and the Bible talks about games of chance. So I'm telling you, Baker. So anyway, <laughs> Gabe and I became, after that moment, even closer. And I loved him even dearer. He was looking out for me. He, he wasn't so much against a casino. He didn't want the image presented that we were sitting there reliant on an industry where people do lose. And, uh, you know, not everybody wins and it's, it's an addiction. And I know, and they have to talk about that all the time. And, and I'm not anti-casino and anybody listening is going to say, oh, he's anti-casino. But I know people, even family members who, who have worked at casinos before. Um, but there is another side to the story. But, you know, you talk about Pastor Barber, he truly is a great matter of fact, the last time I saw Pastor Barber was Saturday. We had a, a, a church, I call it a family briefing, but it's a church meeting. And uh, he had wanted to talk to me. He didn't know what he was having, so he came over uh, to talk to me. And so he just stayed at the church meeting. And so, uh, but that, but he is my pastor. Yeah. When I came here, you know, and I, I truly believe that every pastor needs a pastor. Every pastor needs someone that they can share and go to and, and seek guidance. Uh, and, and Pastor Barber is 94 years old now. As we, well, he told me he's slowing down. Yeah, just a, just t- a little bit. Just that he still drives. He still, <laughs> I told him he gets, he gets a, around. Yeah, he gets a break, but he does. He can't slow down. But we have the elevator now, and he's able to come back up from time to time and yeah. be with us. But he is yeah. he's awesome, man. He's he, he's my pastor, my friend. We've traveled this country together. Yeah, yeah. We, he and I together with uh, uh, we go to conventions and things of that nature. Uh, uh, National Baptist Convention and. Uh, he would go to, he and I would go together, and and so he's, uh, he's I, 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 there's nothing I can say bad about. Oh him. no, no. He, he is, he, he is a father figure to me. So, on the Kirk and Baker show, we're getting ready to start to wrap things up. Mm-hmm. Um, we hope to help make some change and provide people a path for something better in our community, not just the community where you live locally, whether you live in the Quad Cities or you live in Lafayette, Louisiana, because <laughs> people are going to be listening to this all over the place. We hope, though, to expand people's understanding that we're all one human family. We're all one people, and that um, that that's, I think, both of us stand for that. We go about things in, in different ways, but we get to similar solutions. Usually you and I are, are pretty equal uh, when it comes to that. But that's the beauty, though. You like one kind of pie and I like another, but we both like there pie. You with, there you go with that pie thing. <laughs> but, you know, Dave, I think that's what what, is, what we have here is the two of us, uh, different backgrounds uh, that we can come and share our experiences and share our what we've known because both of us have been community-minded. We have served yeah. our community in, in various ways. Uh, and so we bring that to this table. Uh, and, and yet we're still open to other uh, ideas, but we bring uh, those things of what we've learned, uh, minds over 50 years, mm. uh, yours 
much younger. Yeah, but, a little bit. But we bring all of those experiences and things that we yeah. have worked on and been a part of and that we have the ability to share those things with our community. And, uh, as, and as you said, our prayer is to make our community better. The, the, the adage that you use that we're just, we, we're one family. We are all one. Right. Uh, and with this violence going on, this hatred, all these things that's going on, the world needs to know that we are one. Yeah, we have to stomp out hatred any way we can and poverty. Those are things. A war on poverty put me right in the battle line for the war on poverty. We have to end this war on poverty. Yeah. We, we have to do something about the war on poverty. And, and madmen across the world talking about nuclear war like it's a walk in the park. Unbelievable things that I never thought I would hear in my lifetime. I thought people were much smarter um, than that. I thought people knew what this would do. But I hear, you know, with this war in Ukraine, which has affected our economy in many ways, people wonder why gas is high. They blame the president of the United States. It's remarkable that you put blame immediately on a president when it's it's basically supply chain. We were getting a substantial amount of gas from Russia because southern Russia is rich in minerals. And they've got all sorts of good stuff there. Why do you think they've hung on to that land all these years? It's not all tundra in Siberia. And, uh, that's why they want to take more. That's you why know, they want it. Well, and Ukraine, Ukraine is full of minerals oh, and, and, and supplies. And, 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 oh, yeah. Oh. So I, I think that, you know, we've got, we've got a lot of work. Now, we're not going to be able to resolve world peace, but at least we can talk about these things and let people know that, that ludicrous thoughts – uh, you know, and self-prophesizing. I mean, we don't know the hour of the return of Jesus, but to self-prophesize and that you're you're talking about, well, we're just going to have the... What was this this past weekend? There was one of the Russian people talked about that the, the horsemen of the apocalypse are coming. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why, why, you have a responsibility with your nation as, as a member of the international community to not spread fear, and that's, and that's the kind of thing. That's, that's fear-mongering. Fear, yeah. You know. and, and so there are children out there. There are young adults. There are people, ch- children at heart like me, who we hear that, and that just takes everything out of you. But we cannot lose hope. We cannot lose hope. We have to keep going, and we have to work on each other. We have to work on, and you know, and we've got experts we can bring in to talk about things. We both know people. Mm-hmm. I would like to bring some people in to talk about some real things, you know, that, that really matter to people. Like locally in the Quad Cities, what are we doing to help people? And I, we could bring some people in from some elected officials to talk about exactly what services are out there and what do we see, what's the 20-year plan yeah. going ahead, you know. Well, I think our audience has a lot to look forward to. Absolutely. We went past our half yeah. hour, but that's okay. That's what yeah. we'll probably do sometimes. Well, <laughs> but again, it's just been a, a blessing to be here to share uh, with you and then to uh, to our wider community uh, the things that we have on our mind and what we hope to uh, to do for through this podcast. Right. Well, this is the Kirk and Baker Show, episode number one.
Bacon cake show number it's, one. It's a collector's item. Okay, yeah. so this is number one. And uh, if you have any questions or comments, you can, for the time being, till we get this more organized, you can email me at Radio Davy, R A D I O D A V E Y, at gmail.com. That's R A D I O D A V E Y at gmail.com. This podcast is recorded at the studios of KALAFM. St. Ambrose University. The opinions expressed are not necessarily those of KALA Radio or St. Ambrose University, but hopefully St. Ambrose University would not want nuclear war. Yeah, <laughs> I can we, make that disclaimer. Yeah, Dave, we hope that people will uh, contact us by, yeah. by email. email. Let us know what you think. Just tell us, you know, how good uh, And what Kirk do you want was. us to talk about? Tell, yeah, tell how us good, how good Kirk was. And tell us how good Baker was. Well, that's what I really want to say. And we won't get into basketball today. but No, uh, no that's yeah. another story. That's another time. Yeah. All right, you've been listening to the Kirk and Baker Show, and we will catch you next time. Good night.